1: Hello and welcome everyone. I'm excited to join you all today and excited for our guest today. Um, Her name is Mitzi Martinez. She uses she, her pronouns. She's an assistant manager of learning and development at Adidas. She's a former higher ed professional with a master's in college counseling and student development and worked at a predominantly white institution, a faith-based institution for about three years. And in her current role, she manages a virtual learning program open to all employees. This program is designed to build the necessary skills for employees to succeed and develop at Adidas. Oh, so welcome, Mitzi. I know Thank that was, that was kind of fast, but <laughs> it's not too long. So, so welcome. Um, so, first of all, how did you meet with? meet uh, Patricia. How did you connect? Can you tell us a little bit about that?
2: Sure. Yeah. Thank you. First of all, thank you both for having me. I'm super excited to get to join you um, this afternoon. But yeah, so Patricia and I actually met via LinkedIn. So I am a big promoter of LinkedIn. I think it's super helpful and can be very beneficial. in um, meeting new people, networking, kind of, I like to know what's happening, I think, around different industries. So Patricia and I actually got to the schedule call and just kind of wanted to learn about our different career paths and what I had done. And so I really enjoyed our conversation. And she was kind enough to invite me to join this podcast. So, um, yeah, I'm excited to almost continue the conversation we had from from that first uh, one on one interaction we had a couple of weeks ago.
0: Yes. And I was so excited because um, you're right. Like I started going into this LinkedIn rabbit hole just. Um, From our previous podcast conversations, um, I had expressed a um, wish and knowing how I've outgrown my position that I'm at in higher ed and kind of looking at just career, my career trajectory. I joined a leadership group uh, within my campus and we, part of the group is to reflect on kind of your career aspirations what kind of leadership role would you want to do in the future since i had been promoted um i had been kind of curious about like okay so what's next for patricia in terms of um you know, the next role, would I want to go into the director role in higher ed? Do I even want to stay in higher ed? So once I was kind of reflecting on this experience and I've been meeting with a couple of other folks in LinkedIn, I started connecting with folks from higher ed who specifically had a lot of experience in student affairs and had decided to leave higher ed completely and joined leadership and development working um, either teams or positions in corporate. Um, I saw Misty's post about something about you leaving higher ed and joining your current position. And so I was like, I have to connect with her to see more about your experience. So from that conversation, Mitzi told us a little bit more about your transition. So for all of our listeners, um, could you get, walk us through not only telling us a little bit more about yourself, Um, And also, like, what was your breaking point that pushed you to leaving student affairs in higher ed?
2: Sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah, let's see, where do I begin? So I'm originally from L.A., so I grew up in South L.A. Um, That's where I would consider home. My family's still there. um, And I definitely miss, you know, being in L.A. I moved um, to where I am now, which, which is Portland, Oregon, about, I keep saying on and off about 10 years ago because I originally moved up for college. So I was here for four years and then went back down to do a master's program for about two years and then came back to Oregon. I really like the area. I like, you know, I think the general vibe I think of Portland, which I know is unique, but I personally really enjoy it. Um, And I came back and I worked at my alma mater. So that was part of it. Um, I had, I think a generally positive experience in college and, was super involved, really enjoyed my four years. I worked at practically every office within the university, um, because I was just kind of curious to see what was out there and wanted to explore. And that's essentially how I found, I think, my desire to work in higher education. And so when I decided to go to grad school and then come back, I knew if I'm going to work somewhere, it's going to be the university I graduated from. I want to be able to give back to this particular community. I saw the challenges of what it was like to be a first-generation you know, Latinx student with very little representation on all levels of the university, whether that was peers, administrators, um, staff. And so I wanted this career path to be an opportunity, I think, to give back. So um, that's kind of how I landed in higher education. So I was there for about, like I mentioned, I think three and a half-ish years. Um, my first year is actually a career and academic advisor or coach, um, it was the official title there. Um, And I really enjoyed it. I I think I at first I was like, this is very transactional. I'm not really sure about it. But um, looking back, I think it really gave me an opportunity to speak into people's lives in a different way. You know, I mostly work with first year students. And so I had the opportunity to kind of be one of their first people to connect them to the university or even to guide them through what can feel very overwhelming season. And then I transitioned into residential life. So I worked there for a good amount of time. And honestly, most of it was COVID time. So 80% of my time in uh, residence life specifically was uh, with COVID, um, which I think kind of, um, what would be the word? I think it sped up my process of like, is this really what I want to do? You know? Um, And yeah, during my time there, I started as what we called an area coordinator. Um, So I supervised a first year building and a couple apartments and stuff like that. And then uh, within a year, I was promoted to Associate Director of Residence Life, um, and that was really great. And it also brought up a lot of new responsibilities that um, really challenged me, I think, and made me, I think, in some ways begin to question, is this really what I want to do long-term? Can I actually keep up this lifestyle? Because it was a very um, involved job. You know, I felt like a 24-7 job a lot of the time, unfortunately, and so yeah. Um, yeah, I think COVID was one of the big pieces that eventually kind of initially um, sped up the process of me. I, I honestly, within my first year in higher education, I was like, is this really what I want to do? I think I was honestly very disappointed when I first got my job offered, my first job offer. And I realized, oh, I thought I was going to be making way more than what I'm being offered. Like that was my first call. And I think at first, I remember, you know, still being at home because I was um, living at home in between my Uh, graduation from grad school into my first job and my mom is one of my best friends so I remember talking to her and letting her know like oh this is what they're offering like does that seem you know realistic to you or and I think we both were like wow we spent so much money going through undergrad and grad school and this is not a whole lot that's going to help me really afford I think the lifestyle I was hoping to have after graduating so that made me begin to question it but I think my desire to really give back, to see the students, to be involved, to, um, I think, felt this sense of responsibility of, like, all these people that have invested in me, I want to be in that position. I get to be in this position. Like, I've been lucky enough to be able to go to school and have a grad- graduate degree now. So the least I can do is try this out, I think, was my mentality. Um, and then kind of outside of that, I honestly was always just curious, like, what was out there. Um, the other main thing, honestly, was the lack of support, I think, within my, um, institution, and again, I think it's really tricky for me, because it is my alma mater, so I have really positive experiences as an undergrad student, and as a professional, you see the behind the, behind the scenes of everything, like, you learn to interact with people in a different way, you see the challenges that students don't always see, and I think that that, those kind of, rose-colored glasses that I had on coming in were quickly, like, just removed from me, Um, and so, yeah, I think I was known as a student to be someone who was a big advocate for diversity, equity, inclusion, for, you know, access to, for the folks that are within the Portland area, Um, this being a private school, you know, it just felt like there were a lot of, there was a lot of tension about, like, who I am as a person, and then with the institution represented. And I think I had hoped that I could bridge that gap. And the longer I stayed, the more I realized that the gap was actually only getting wider and that I wasn't the person fully responsible for bridging the gap, that that was like communal responsibility. And unfortunately I felt like I was taking lead on probably too much. So um, I think that's a little bit of kind of where where I landed towards the end of my time, which uh, right now it's almost going to be a year, which is crazy. Time went by so fast.
1: Thank you, Mitzi. As you were talking, I'm like, yes, I could relate on so many levels and so many aspects. Cause I was also working at my alma mater at one point. One of my first jobs was as an academic advisor. And, you know, not having a lot of work experience, not knowing what's a fair, you know, salary they always try to get you with like the benefits. Right. But that's completely separate. Like Mm -hmm. you, you need to have medical and dental care and insurance and all of these great things. Um, But yeah, like, like same to like similar to you, it was like, oh, well, I, you know, I need a job. I need to get work experience. Like, fine, I'll do it. And I want to make a difference. They always get you because they know we're passionate about students you know we're mm-hmm. passionate about making a difference for to our, our alma mater and yeah so anyways I was like yes 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 yes, <laughs>
2: <laughs> yes. it's very unique when you go back to work at a mm. place where you feel in some ways indebted to you know yeah. like whether it was the experience the financial help the yeah. community whatever that may be
0: yeah yeah like we also just kind of like feel that because of the mentors that we got the kind mm-hmm. of really cool experiences that we received we have We know that not everybody is able to have that experience. So we're just like, oh, now we're in a position to make a change. Uh, We can be very passionate people. Therefore, it's great that we get to work in our passions. And I think that's one of the things that I hadn't heard as much when I was doing job searching or going and looking for grad school. It's like, it's okay if your job is just your job you know, like it doesn't have to be super passionate. You still have to like it and be comfortable with some of the tasks. But I think that's where, um, if you're stuck on just working on just your passions, then, you know, work itself will just drain you and make you question whether or not you should transition when you have a toxic environment or things are not going well with the changes in your own job. It makes it harder to leave because you're still stuck on this, like past experience you've had or something that you're trying to work towards that, you know, as you mentioned, you know, it's above you. Um, It is a huge systemic organizational issue Mm -hmm. of all these equity gaps or experiences that you're just like, we could do better, but we just don't because of so many structural issues we, Mm -hmm. we have in our, in our current position.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's messaging to that. At least I got Um, throughout my entire journey probably from my first day in college to my very last day in higher education was well we're just so lucky to have you here like we need your voice we need what you bring to the table we're just so thankful for the ways you represent students and you know students just like it's great that they get to see a face that looks like them which is true and I'm the only face you know like Mm -hmm. so I just the the weight that that carries for an individual is not fair but in trying to make sense of it you're like okay you're right I am like glad to be here I am glad that students have at least one person because I know that when I had that one person it made a difference but I think there was something in my mind that clicked and I said well why am I the only one like why can't students look around and look at multiple faces that look like Mm -hmm. them and versus just being me and feeling so much guilt leaving because I knew that was like one less face they got to see that look like them um, so yeah, I think that was something that I'm still honestly kind of processing through. It's like, but all these people told me this is what I should be doing and there's a little bit of like frustration around that because I wish someone would have just been like, no, a job can be a job. No, you can ask for what you deserve. No, you spend so much money paying for your education that you should get a high paying job that allows you to have the freedom to pursue other dreams or to get back to your family or to build wealth for your, future you know Um, but that those weren't always the messages that I got from mentors that I really love or peers or colleagues or even just I think as I was doing my own research in in higher education
1: yeah sometimes our own mentors slash colleagues are in the same boat and they don't know how to get out (laughs) so it's like You also, when you're in the midst of it, I also wanted to highlight, because I experienced this myself, it's like, where do I go? Like, Pati is doing a really good job right now of exploring her options, what does it take to get there, doing informational interviews, you know, meeting with you since you're already there, Mm -hmm. um, getting advice, etc. But sometimes you don't know what's out there, and you don't know what direction to go, should I go back to grad school, you know, should I go back to school, get a graduate degree, should I, you know, you don't know what you don't know. And so that's when the research and connecting with folks like you Mm -hmm. matter, you know, and make a difference. Um, But with that said, uh, our next question is like, what careers did you uh, were you considering as you were on the job search?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. So um, in undergrad, I actually did a business management degree. So I really for the longest, I always wanted to go into business, the corporate world, was curious about it. And then again, my senior year, I made like this wild decision to pursue grad school instead. Um, and so I, I hadn't really gotten the chance to explore or even work within the corporate setting. I didn't do an internship under, in undergrad because I spent most of my summers working at the university. Um, and So I really had no idea, honestly, it kind of just started. Like I said, I'm a big proponent of LinkedIn. I think it gives you access to just looking at jobs or seeing what other people have done. Um, I think my first job in higher education as a career and academic advisor was a really good foundational piece for me as well, because part of my role was to help students do some of that career exploration, whether it was doing assessments or teaching them how to use LinkedIn for that purpose. Um, I was doing resume reviews during that time as well. And so I think I began to see how it impacted those students in a really positive way. Like I I remember having conversations with students who were like, I don't know where I want to go. And then just giving them these tools helped them be like, okay, I think I have a better idea of what I want to do. Or they would come in and say, well, I want to work at this place, but I don't even know where to go. And I would be like, let's look at all the people that work there. Now let's find one or two people that like have a similar background to you, somehow they got there so you can do it too. And I think I realized, okay, I'm giving all these advice to these students, but like I need to kind of turn that back to me and, and kind of begin to take those steps myself. So that's just some like general context, I think. So I think when I was exploring, I wanted looking at project management, I was looking at LD jobs, whether that's a program management manager role or um, like some sort of operations, role as well was kind of the main things i think i reflected honestly on my my job at that time and kind of said what is it that i like about my job like what are the pieces of my job that i would love to continue to do and then what are the pieces of my job that i know i do not want to continue doing i'm done with i'm exhausted whatever that was and so i knew the administrative piece was something that i generally i'm good at i thrive in i enjoy it it helps me feel like i know where i'm going. Um, I love people and I think I wanted to have a better balance between that. I was spending a lot of time with a lot of people all the time. So I was like, how can I bring that back um, and have access to people without it being like my priority within my role? Uh, I'm trying to think at what else I looked at. I was looking at some like customer success, kind of the tech world stuff. And I think the fast pace of it and talking to other friends about it, I realized maybe that's not exactly where I want to go right out of you know, higher education, what is like a good in between. Um, my final year in higher education, I got really lucky. My manager at that time, so the, my, the, the director essentially, she and I were really close, are still pretty close. And we, I think, wanted, she knew, she knew that I was like exploring other options or knew that I wanted to kind of begin my, what I consider my exit strategy. Um, and so, When I was promoted to associate director, I was able to kind of work with her and the other associate director and say, here are the roles that we really want to do. What are the things about my job that I really like? And I knew I liked the training piece for student leaders, I always liked the leadership development piece. And so I asked for some of those things to be kind of core pieces of my role. And then they did a title change. So my final role title within higher education was associate director of learning and development and I think that made a huge difference. I really lucked out in that because it set me up for my LinkedIn to highlight certain jobs that maybe wouldn't really target higher education professionals for that. Um, let's see. I think that that's kind of where I'm at. I'm trying not to ramble too much about all the different places that I think higher education professionals can go into.
1: You you didn't, I don't think you rambled. I think if anything, you... Um highlighted another important point for <laughs> that I want to like elevate for, for our listeners is having a support system, having mm-hmm. a good supervisor, you know, because mm-hmm. sometimes, and I say that from experience, we're afraid of sharing, disclosing that you're interested in something else or transitioning out, right? Right. And they don't, and so because we're afraid, we don't receive the support or we're afraid because our supervisors or whoever is above us doesn't support that, hasn't made that space to help us get to that next level or get to that next point in our careers, right? You said like they were, they sounded like they were able to provide you with the skills the you know, the, the title change, right? Mm -hmm. That placed you in a good position. So that's really cool that you had that opportunity or like that you had that support.
0: And also that you're like kind of describing your overall like thought process, because I think that's the hardest part is, um, for especially first gen professionals out there coming straight either from college or going through their master's programs or any graduate program that they're in, they don't get access to the thought process that goes along with career changing.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: it's like we, like, I don't know about you, I'm also first gen. So, like, when I started realizing I don't think it's sustainable to stay in higher ed and work at it, and then you're just like, it dawns on you, you spent all this money, time, and effort trying to go into a career and we talked about this in our one-on-one mm-hmm. <laughs> like, and then you just realize I'm like, it was so hard learning about all the ropes and stuff like that to get to the position that we are in. And then you come to find out, yeah, that's not going to be a thing that I want to do long-term aside from all the judgmental or comments potentially that could come up with our own families, um, who don't understand the world that we live in and the, just the professional, realm of transitioning and how normal it actually is Mm -hmm. um, for a lot of people um, knowing the options the titles like when I started getting introduced to learning and development I just kept seeing on LinkedIn a ton of people you know talking about teachers K through 12 teachers potentially going into instructional design Mm -hmm. and the the fact that you mentioned like you were really considering the uh, the good aspects that you like about your job and the things that you don't want to move carried on. Um, it's so important, especially with the, the transitional piece in your career, is being strategic about what kind of roles do you want to are you able to transition to a whole new um career industry because it will, you know, set you up for the next thing if you do decide to use that new position as a stepping stone for the next thing. Mm-hmm. So you have to kind of assess now the job market. The kind of roles, the kind of things that are transferable skills that you can still talk about and be comfortable in a new space, because you are going to have to learn a lot. So I was introduced for any of our listeners who don't understand what learning and development means. um, It is um, the organization. It is kind of the, a lot of people are saying that it's kind of like the middle child within corporate world where... (laughs) We, they do a lot of service, but they don't get a lot back, mostly because um, most of the departments, depending on the corporation that you're in, may be hosted under human resource HR or be separate on its own or kind of depending on the kind of influence or importance that that corporation or organization has for it. Um, but learning and development basically is professionals that help train other professionals on how to do their basic job function. Um, There is a lot more titles in corporate that I've started to learn more about, but some folks that may start thinking about transitioning outside of higher ed could be something along learning and development. Not every title has learning and development. That's what I've learned so far. Mm -hmm. Maybe called something different like talent specialist or onboard specialist Basically, um, another role that you mentioned, customer success, I knew for a fact I didn't want to do customer success anymore. (laughs) I was tired of student appointments. But there's also a new one that I started learning today, which is community management. Um, So those are things that you can start searching for folks um, in case they are interested in exploring more of like corporate. But I did notice a lot of higher ed professionals moving to L&D. So In terms of like your experience, we talked about this before, but you talked with me about how your first role that you did was a consulting, it was through um, a contract, right? Not consulting, Mm -hmm. contract job. So tell us about how that also helped because you first were able to change your title, Mm -hmm. your working title, and then you went into a contract role and then you did a permanent full-time position at um, Adidas, right? So can you walk us through kind of like how that helped you within your journey and how someone may consider doing contract work as opposed to just directly trying to go into a corporate job.
2: Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I think that's lots of great points that you um, mentioned earlier as well about learning and development in general, it's a big world. And I think there's still so much that I'm learning, um, but it's really exciting. And the more I go into it, the more I'm like, it's essentially higher education, but you know, within a different context and different demographics. So I think that's probably a reason why so many folks in higher education are able to transition into it. Um, but for me, yeah, so big piece was my title change. I think at that point when my title change happened, I was committed to one more year in higher education, like I had this plan, it was like, I'm gonna intentionally, um, folks that I had talked to had said, well, you wanna show that you have started something or you wanna show that you're taking initiative and in projects or the projects you're taking on, they need to show results. So as you're thinking about the projects you're working on throughout the next year, consider which projects you want to say yes to that will lead to results that are a little bit more tangible than they generally tend to be for folks in higher education and even more for people in residence life. So that was the mentality I was going into about a year ago into my final year in higher education. And then, you know, during the first couple of weeks, I realized, no, I can't do this one more year. I had some really tough conversations with some of the leaders and I realized, I just don't think that I can commit to one more year and do a good job for my students. And that's not fair to them. So once I made that decision, I committed fully to start looking for jobs. Again, this is about a year ago. So for folks who know higher education, this is chaos. Like last August is just the time where students come back. Everything that could go wrong tends to go wrong and you just kind of have to make it work and work really long hours. But I'm very thankful because I, probably after one of those final conversations, I opened my computer, went on LinkedIn and I started saying, learning and development jobs in the Portland area and just started applying to a few jobs. So this job that I found was called, our official title was Leadership Development Coordinator and Analyst uh, for, it's called LAM Research. So they're like the semiconductor industry. And I figured, you know, I'll just apply. I was, it was the first job I think that I applied to more intentionally created a cover letter for it and again based on my conversations in the past folks have said you want to make sure that the way you share your higher education experience is something that the person reading it who isn't familiar with higher education can easily understand or be able to take you know you want to translate it for them and essentially and use that cover letter as that opportunity so I was I think very strategic about the things I highlighted. Um, so I, I try to think of all the numbers I could pick of right? How many people I had hired, how many people I had supervised, um, how many hours I was spending with certain, doing certain tasks. So I tried to be really, really intentional about those things. Um, and yeah, I think that process was a lot smoother than I anticipated. Um, I was able to just submit my application and actually one fun fact about this is I submitted it and then I didn't hear anything for a couple of weeks and then I went back in and resubmitted my application. So I went back to my profile and edited my cover letter and then submitted it again because I was like, well, this is an updated version. So um, we'll see what happens. And then three days later, I got a call. So again, I think there was a little bit of luck in that in the sense that probably this recruiter hadn't looked at this pile for a while. And then all of a sudden I was at the top of the pile because I was a recent, you know, application. And then I got a call and they were like, hey, we'd love to like talk to you. Sounds like you have some good experience. And Maybe. Are you still interested? And I was like, yeah, totally. I'm interested. And so that process was about four interviews. They were pretty back to back. I think I had one interview a week, essentially. It was like every couple of days they were rescheduling. So I had an interview with the recruiter, which was essentially going over my resume, interview with, um, I had two direct managers within that role. So an interview with each of those folks, and then an interview with the director. So kind of the person who supervised this team. Um, and a lot of those questions are very general, kind of get to know you. And again, my biggest thing that I tell people is I really was intentional about sh- showing um, curiosity about the role, curiosity, and my ability to say, I'm new. i I, you could tell based on my resume that I don't have any, any L&D direct experience, but that's exactly why I want this job. Like, that's what I kept saying. I want to learn. I have the opportunity to translate what I have. There are pieces of this role that I just know I'm really good at because I've done them for years. And so there are the other pieces of this role that I know I don't know how to do, but that's exactly the challenge I'm looking for. Like, I try to frame it in that way as much as possible. Um, so yeah, the contract position, I think, was something... A kind of a, a two-in-one. One was because I was generally really serious about looking for a different job, So I was like, I'll take a contract position. Two, I wanted to be realistic about my expectations, right? As someone who was pretty relatively young, I would say, new in their career, trying to transition into something else. I always told students, you're not going to find your dream job right away. Like it's just rare. And if you get that, that's amazing, but it doesn't have to be that way. And so I had to remind that for myself as well. It won't be my dream job. It won't be everything I asked for, but it's gonna be what I need to get to the next thing. And that's exactly how I thought of this job. And that's why I took the risk to take a contract position. Um, and uh, during the interview, I was really intentional about asking about what do the benefits look like because it's a contract position? Um, how long is this contract for? Is that opportunity to renew the contract? Do you anticipate this job becoming full-time anytime soon? And within what time frame? And I think those were the questions that, again, helped them realize, like, I'm serious about this. Like, I know what I'm doing. And I'll be honest, a lot of that was based on my own research and kind of Googling what is a contract position? How does this work? What are the things I want to be mindful of? Um, So, yeah, I did that for about six months and the contract itself wasn't expired or anything. It didn't expire. It's just at some point I realized maybe it's time for me to begin to explore something else and just begin to put my name out there to see what comes up and again I really lucked out because when I made that decision I started getting again back on LinkedIn and looking at jobs and that Adidas post had just been posted maybe three days before I had applied and I was like again what's the worst that can happen is they say no and I currently have a job so I tell folks all the time it's easier to get a job when you have a job for so many reasons that I could go into right whether it's you're not as stressed about, I need this job. And you get so stressed about every part of the interview process to, I have the confidence to know that if I don't get this job, I have a job, I'll be fine. Um, and so that's my biggest thing too. I think that really helped me in that transition between a contract and full-time position.
1: That's amazing. I, I love how you just like broke everything down, like the whole process, like they had said earlier. Um, because it's just, it's a scary thing to do, (laughs) you know, if you don't know who to ask or what kind of questions to ask during the interview, like you're interviewing them as much as they're interviewing you. And if it's a good fit. And I think those key questions that you pose, like, I wish I was like writing them down right now (laughs) so that you can, you know, for folks can, so that they can ask them in their next interview. Um, but yeah, uh, do you have anything else Jack?
0: Yeah, I think it's like um such a scary but also it's kind of like a normal like now that I've been following a lot more people that I've been like job searching now I'm like okay this is normal like feeling kind of anxious not really knowing exactly um how to answer all the questions because I think that's just kind of the interview process just being comfortable with them throwing things at you and not knowing everything but it's just like you don't need to know it you just have to know how to redirect that energy to something else meaning yes that's like not something i am very familiar with but i know xyz part of the process that's what i'm looking for to you know grow in um and the fact that like you did take some more time to like understand your stepping stones like where your strengths were where you need to you know fill the gaps in in terms of how can you change um the possibilities or probabilities of getting that new job um could you walk us through your process then once you applied to Adidas, how was that different now that you had at least a bit more experience in LD? Yeah,
2: for sure. I would, I would. tell people my first job out of higher ed at LAM with my supervisor felt like a boot camp. Like I literally felt like, what am I doing here? What have I done? You know, you get all these like mini fears and maybe regret of like, I have made the biggest mistake ever because I had. I went from feeling like an expert and feeling like I knew exactly what I was doing and super confident because I can, you know, refer back to my education, refer back to my personal experience, my student experience, whatever projects I had worked on to getting into a setting where I literally had nothing to contribute because I had no idea what was going on. And I had to remind myself, like, this is exactly what happens when you go into a place like this, right? I, I've never done this. And... Um, I remember thinking I talked to friends and I remember telling them, you remember that day, your first college class where you walked in and you're like, I know exactly what I'm doing. I was great in high school. Like, I'm feeling confident. And you walk into your first class and the professor is talking about I don't know what. And you're like, I'm very confused right now. And I just need to go back into my, you know, residence hall or to the library and reread everything. And hopefully it'll click. And then maybe three weeks later, things finally begin to click. And you're like, I don't know this, but now I get it that's how my six months felt like my first couple of weeks and probably the first month or two, I was like new language, new acronyms, new, um, culture. This was a completely, pretty completely virtual job as well. So even adjusting to that, going from living with hundreds of students to being on my own and working by myself was really a big challenge for me. Um, and then also I think the other thing was, the dynamics of a new team, right? Like very different from higher education when it came to the culture of that. And so to eventually kind of getting the the hang of things, again, my manager at that time was like, hey, you know, the reason I hired you is because I see all the potential that you have. I know that you can do this. I know you know how to do this. It's just figuring out what works for you. And I think that, I, again, I really lucked out with her because, she knew the parts that I didn't know how to do and was like, I'll sit with you and walk you through it or let's do it with you together and then I'll let you try it on your own. And so it felt like all of these things were taught to me and not just expected for me to know or um, overly explained to me where I was like, no, there's some basic things I actually do know how to do because I've done them, just not in this setting. Um And so then applying to Adidas, I looked at this job and I was like, oh my gosh, I actually know what they mean by this job description. So confidence booster right there. I was like, I know the language. Um, Meeting with the recruiter, you know, I shared with her my resume, I wish she had seen it and she was like, can you walk me through your resume? And again, for higher ed folks, I'm a big proponent on being honest with your experience and being authentic to who you are. So I own my higher education experience as much as I possibly can, honestly, because it is part of my story. It is where I've gotten a lot of my experience. And it's something that even though I'm not in it, I still see a lot of value, um, you know, based on what I've learned, what I've taught, all those things. So I'm all about selling my higher ed experience to folks. So I, I talked honestly about that. And then I also said, and I have this job over the last six months, like I've been able to translate so much more, my experience, there's things that I have learned in higher education, I didn't realize how related they were to learning and development. But now I see those, yeah, transferable skills. And so she was like, oh, that's awesome. Like, that's super helpful. I can see that. I can see the experience that you have. And um, I think it just helped me with my confidence in what I was sharing and the the things in my resume that I wanted to highlight. I knew more of like what they were looking for and probably what this job was going to entail way more than I did, you know, a few months ago when I applied to my first job. And now that I've been in the role for about four months, again, I think I've learned to gain more confidence. i reference my hired experience because again, it's important to me. And so a lot of what I do is essentially be, you know, some sort of professor and administrator at the same time. I actually this morning did my first, like what we call like an upscale, so workshop for other facilitators. And it went really well. And I was like, I have done this before. I've done it in front of 70 people. I can do it in front of two people virtually, you know, like I can teach how to Use the specific software. I've done that before when I was doing, you know, helping students enroll for the classes. I taught them what button to click or what, you know, to consider when they were deciding which class they were going to take, and that's a lot of what I do now. So, um, I think I can see it even more clearly now than I did, you know, when I first started in LND. I
1: love it. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I and I love that. Um, that your master's degree you know you talked about it earlier about like how you you know you were worried that you know all this time and money was invested in it but it's also provided you it's like it was versatile enough right um the college counseling and student development like that you were able still you were still able to use it in your new uh yes. field
2: Yes. And I, I remember I always, again, was one of the, my philosophies around majors because people really get stressed about majors. First year mm-hmm. students really get stressed about majors. And I always told, told my students, I was like, you are deciding what lens you want to look at the world through. So if you want to look at it through biology, that means you're going to, you know, highlight things about the world that maybe a biologist would look at that maybe a sociologist wouldn't, right? But if you choose sociology, then there are parts of the world that are just going to become more natural for you to see. So you decide how you want to look at the world. And I think for me, right, it was undergrad was management. So I remember shifting my brain to how do you interact with people? How do you manage people? How do you manage conflict? Those pieces that definitely my peers in engineering were not necessarily thinking through on a regular basis. And with higher education and college counseling and student development specifically, I mean, I knew going in, I was like, I'm going to learn not only the theory behind some of the things that I already know how to do that felt important to me, But the counseling piece was that attracted me to that particular degree because I was like, I want to be a better listener. I want to be more empathetic and show empathy well. I want to be able to invite people into spaces that they wouldn't otherwise feel invited to. And I think those are things that now that I'm in a different context, I'm seeing be very natural to me. That's not always natural to a lot of folks, no matter how successful, quote unquote, they are, right? There are things they're really good at, but then- there are things that I highlight, they're like, we've never considered this before. I'm like, really? Because it's so obvious to me. <laughs> and and it's just part of how we see the world, you know, differently.
0: And I love the fact that you're, you're highlighting how um, your specific set of skill sets right now, because you took a non-traditional route, or you took a different route, or the fact that you're just describing your actual past experience and really owning up to it, just really shows how well you are at communicating and how well you are at organizing like ideas where that is basically what you do either in career counseling or academic advising is providing a structure and also information where you're able to, you know, condense big, large, complicated concepts or policies and narrowing it down to a little bit more accessible language Mm -hmm. and uh, describing things where it makes sense for folks. Um, And you're like, you're just doing it that right now. And I think that shows how great and a strength it is from coming from a higher ed background. And I have noticed that a lot of other people, I think what I've noticed now in my adult life is that (laughs) the things that come naturally to me and like make sense, I'm like, why is this process doesn't make any sense or whatever? And it's like, it's because I'm seeing it through a new lens as a first-gen professional because- Mm -hmm. You just think a little bit more logically and you might, your brain might shift more practically of what it looks like in real life. So if there's a new initiative, a new policy, um, some sort of new program that you have to, you know, flush it out, you're able to see it in a different light because you're also seeing it for the first time. Mm -hmm. So I think that is one of the great assets that we don't try to replicate what already has been done because we're trying to be more creative we also have a different diverse set of employees as well. So I think you can definitely manage and change your management and leadership style to your audience.
2: For sure. And I think especially for higher ed folks in student affairs, like we have to think of all stakeholders all the time, right? We're not only creating when we're thinking of a policy or a program, we're like, what is this how does this what does this communicate to students is this going to like land for them but also does this show certain parts of our leadership development to leaders and does this show that we are taking this part of our job seriously but also with our colleagues like who are within our you know campus partners i guess that we want to make sure they see the value of this like we just normally think of everything that we do has to communicate the right value to the right stakeholders. And again, that's something that I think in corporate is really valuable because that is also what we do. And it's not always easy to, for folks to see that or to build those relationships or to like be strategic enough to know everything we do communicates something, no matter what level of an organization people are in.
1: Yeah. And as you were sharing, I also heard like how you sell yourself, right? Like what your branding is, Um, I was hearing that you were combining your practical skills with your social skills. Um, you have a business brain, right? So these these are all strengths, and they're all transferable skills in the end, right? So just I just you know wanted to highlight that, and also um, I guess now that you you know now that you got your Adidas position, how did that feel once you got it? Um, what was what was your process like um, leaving higher ed?
2: Yeah, you know, it's been pretty wild. And I think I'm still assimilating a lot of what happened, <laughs> what my life has turned to be um, in less than a year. I think because it's happened so fast and I've been in transition mode for so long, I feel like I'm still like, wait, is this really where I am? How did that happen? And um, I think a lot of folks that I talk to, they're like, how did you end up there? And many folks, I think, expect this really interesting intense story of how I had tried really hard to finally get in and it finally happened. But for me, I think something I learned really early on in my undergrad career was to just not take things so seriously. Cause I was very intense. I had a 20 year plan knew exactly what it was supposed to be. And then all of that fell apart very quickly, you know? So then I'm like, you know what, I'm just going to let things be what they are and just let it go and do my best in whatever I'm doing. And so I think for Adidas, it was that way where I'm like the worst that can happen is they say no. And then I try again in the future. If I really end up wanting to work there, the best that can happen is they get a full time job and I feel more confident and all these things. And I'm thankful that that's how it turned out. So I'm definitely, I think managing expectations is big. Um, Leaving higher education, honestly, I realized how much I'm still carrying with me, whether it's the intensity of the amount of work I was um you know, showing up with all the time, like I constantly felt like I had to show my value with the, with my colleagues, maybe with leaders within the organization to prove that I deserve being there to prove that I was good enough or competent enough. That was my biggest challenge with higher education was like, there was no real trust that I was competent. It was like, I have to show that I'm competent. And it still doesn't feel like it's enough to get there, you know. Um, It's always like, we need to make sure you know what you're doing. And so I am trying to be really intentional about my new job and say, okay, they hired me for a reason. They knew, I always tell people, and I have to remind this of myself, they know what you don't know. Like they've interviewed you. They looked at your resume. You haven't hit anything. They know. And as someone who's hired people before, I generally know like this person is going to be challenged in this area, but that's okay. We're willing to work with that or willing to train them, right? Especially in L&D, which is literally our jobs to do that. And so I have to remind myself of that. You don't have to try so hard to prove a point or prove your competency. Um, You just need to do your best work when you're able to, right? That's one big thing. Boundaries are another huge thing that I have to be intentional about. And I'm really lucky because my team and my manager are great. And so they have helped me remind myself of those boundaries that I want for myself and respect my boundaries as well. But it's so easy to be like, but I can do this. I can take that on. I've done this before. Like I used to work 16 hour days. So 12 hour days are not that bad, you know, but to still be like, and it's still not okay. And so um, I think that's kind of where I'm at now, trying to almost re-figure out what does it look like to be a professional in this particular setting? What are my boundaries? How do I stick to those boundaries? How do I communicate my boundaries? Um, And then I think, as someone that just tends to be very strategic, it's like, okay, what are the, quote? I I would say some of the mistakes I made in higher education. And one of those was generally early on, I think I was like, I'll just take this job, learn as much as I can and kind of let things be the way they are. And now for me, I'm like, where do I see myself long-term? What is my next step? And what can I begin to do now to prepare me for that? And so I am being way more, Actively and intentionally strategic about the projects that I say yes to, taking notes of those projects, which again we often don't do, so we just forget we did this amazing job at something, you know. Um, so I started to do that more this year, and then, um, yeah, having really honest and open conversations with my manager. And we had a good beginning conversation where I was like, "This is where I'm coming from. These are some of the things that I'm probably still carrying with me, and so building trust with you is going to be really important." Or when there are things that are really hard for me to speak up on. And here's why. And I think I'm thankful she was receptive of that. And it's a continuous conversation. So feedback is something that I never received, I think, or never is a strong word, but hardly received in in higher education. And so that's something that I'm like, let's normalize getting feedback and giving feedback. So that's another big piece of my kind of new career path and my new job now.
0: That's definitely uh, kind of one of the benefits of having spent so much time reflecting because you're a very it sounds like you're a very reflective person and it's like you self-assess like okay what am I doing well in what am I not and that's such a managerial <laughs> like default um I also did business in undergrad and it was a management HR Chicana Chicano studies combo my concentration and that's always what they I think that's the one of the great benefits of having majored in business is that they really Um, the leadership class was all about really assessing who you are and being realistic about the feedback that you've gotten Mm -hmm. from other people, because we perceive ourselves in a particular way, but the way that we work, our work cell or our working selves is an entirely different kind of, you know, person and how you navigate, um, because it's just one aspect of your personality. Right. So, but it has helped just kind of being able to, um, you to grow and really evolve knowing how many challenges you've had to encounter to get to the position that you are in currently. Um And I also, am like, a lot of people have noticed that are, like, feeling really guilty about leaving higher ed or education in general. And <laughs> I've heard once everybody gets their corporate job, they're so happy. So, like, can you speak on how, like, the positive parts about your, other than, you know, probably earning a lot more money? <laughs> <laughs>
2: Yeah, no, that's great. And I agree. I talk to folks all the time. And that's the biggest thing. So I say it's a very personal journey, like, letting go of some of those expectations, being honest with yourself about parts of your job that you're like, yeah, sometimes, you know, I have a really hard time showing up for certain things, you know. Um. So yeah, I totally agree with that. Um, yeah, I mean, I would say I really enjoy the culture of Adidas. I think it's a really fun culture. I love Working with people who are generally my age or older, like I love feeling like people are pouring into me. It's another big thing, you know, in my former roles, I've been kind of the person that's responsible for a lot of things. And now I'm like, I can trust everyone else that they know what they're doing. There's a boundary uh, workplace where people have a specific roles for what their roles are. And I have my part of my role and I do that really well. And then I get to be done and focus on my life outside of work. So I really love that. And I think something that I enjoy, but I've struggled with is Adidas is a very well-known place to work for. And so it can easily become like my personality. And I'm like, I don't want it to be that because it's just work and I'm okay with that. I am okay just taking in what I can from what I'm learning. And then when I'm done, I'm done. Um, So for for me, because Adidas is such a big company, like we don't have access to our emails or anything like that, unless we're on our work computers. Um, or if I had a company phone, which I don't. Um, And so when I'm not in front of my computer, I'm not thinking about work. I don't look at my email. I can't look at my emails. It's just a built-in wall or boundary there. So I love that. I love my manager and my teammates. I think they're really great. And again, they have a very different experience than I do. So I just feel like every time I go in and get to talk with them or meet with them virtually, I'm like learning something new. And that feeling of like, I'm learning, I'm growing, I'm being challenged is something that I had missed feeling for a long time. I'm just a natural learner. So that's like motivating to me. And then Adidas, yeah, it's, I think it's just like, it's uh, retail. So I'm learning a lot about a very different, um, yeah, place, a different industry. So I think I really appreciate too, like the uniqueness of working for a sportswear company um, and the values that they have around making sports, you know, accessible for folks and well big thing is you know changing lives through sport and I'm really like enjoying that because it's not who I am necessarily like as a person but I'm beginning to realize like the power of sports I didn't play any sports growing up so I started feeling really like an outsider at the beginning and the more I'm in it I'm like oh this is actually like a really inclusive way to think about sports and how um impactful they can be in people's lives and so um I think that's another big part for me I I've noticed myself feeling like I can be more intentional about taking care of myself, taking care of my body and being, I think having a healthier lifestyle, making better choices for myself, not for what other people need of me, but because I generally feel more invested in that and I have way more energy to do that as well. Um, cause I'm not drained at the end of the day.
1: Oh, very good points. Um, thank you for sharing that, like the, the, the positive side <laughs> <laughs> and like what you're enjoying. Um, uh, let's see. So, what are your plans for the future? And within that, um, can you tell us what you're looking forward in this new chapter?
2: Sure. Yeah. Plans for the future. Again, I think I'm in a very good place right now. I'm I'm trying to live in the present more and more. So, don't have too many plans other than continue to learn. I think continue to network. I love part of my. I would say a part of my perk from. Leaving higher education has been the amount of energy I have to meet with new individuals, whether it's to encourage them around being in higher education or leaving higher education. I think there's still ways that I'm impacting the lives of students who get to see someone like me be in a corporate setting and work for such an amazing company. Um, so that's been just very life-giving. So I'm, I think I'm trying to be more and more intentional about building those relationships and connections, connecting with friends that I with text here and there when I was too busy. And now I get to actually visit them or enjoy quality time with them. Um, And then I think the other thing is, again, I'm a natural learner. So I thought about like, what are certifications I could start or have access to even within the company? So that's probably where I'll begin is internal access to some of our leadership programs and some of our um, additional certifications within the company that I'll be pursuing just in a professional development way. And then things I'm looking forward to in the season. Honestly, again, I feel really happy. I feel really like just thankful that I get to be a part of such a cool company, that I get to have such a boundary job and that I get to just use my time outside of work to take care of myself, to take care of the people that I love and to invest in the community that I'm a part of. And I think I'm realizing how powerful that can be more and more. So I'm gonna to continue to do that. I think you know it's easy to feel like, okay, I don't have a lot going on with my day. What I do now, and I'm being really mindful about where I'm choosing to spend my time and energy now. And I'm thankful that I have that kind of agency, um, in this season.
0: Nothing and not having to worry that something's gonna fall through just because you're the only one in your department. I think yep. that's where I've come to realize how important it is for me um especially like having life outside of work it's been really exciting um mostly because more more of us in higher ed may have work from home situations but still like I think if the institutions are pushing for every day in person I don't think that's going to be possible but um and more of a reason why people are trying to leave (laughs) but I'm so happy that you're at the stage that you are and that you're you know really growing professionally and learning more about yourself now that you're in this new chapter. Um, and we I just thank you so much for like, the our initial one-on-one has been amazing. You're such a wonderful speaker and podcaster. <laughs>
2: okay. Thank you so much, I'm uh, honored.
0: <laughs> yeah, you walked us through so well, um, basically kind of your journey and, and giving other people, even our listeners who are considering switching out of higher ed and aren't sure where to start in terms of corporate, um, positions. Um, we've given you all some ideas and yes. also just kind of take a look out, especially with now the new job market and tons of layoffs and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of folks are still considering switching jobs and still considering quitting um, or looking for new opportunities. So thank you so much, Misty. Um, is there any last words that you want to leave our, our listeners with or um, share with us any Um, to share or have our listeners a ways to connect with you?
2: Yeah, for sure. Yeah. As I mentioned, I'm always happy to connect um, with folks who are just curious and want to learn more. I love learning from others as well. So feel free to either, you know, um, follow me on Instagram at Mitzi Martinez, CO, excuse me, or LinkedIn. Like if you just look me up Mitzi Martinez, Um, I work at Adidas. So I feel like you can see where I work and then assume that's me. Um, but yes, happy to connect with folks as they're exploring other options and um just taking some time to to get to know them as well.
1: This week's BIPOC business shout-out is Isovert. Female and Latinx founded Isovert is the conscience luxury vision of beauty industry veterans Faye Harris and Tanya Gonzalez. Reimagining the way we look at scent with a brand new five fragrance collection rooted in the idea of celebrating sensuous experiences through the power of sustainable scent. After meeting during their 10 plus years working in beauty marketing, they connected over their love of the simple pleasures and beautiful complexities of life, culture, connection, and the subtle art of doing more with less. The resulting scents are the aromatic pinnacle of the values they hold dear. A through line of their experiences discovered from childhood stories of Tanya's mother wearing perfume during special occasions and Faye's experiences curating her own fragrances in grass and instable. With the desire to share these wearable and fluid identities with the world, they set out to find a way to blend the age-old art of fragrance with their commitment to honor the earth that inspires them. Fueled by an intimate understanding of beauty industry waste and the impact on our planet, Conscience Luxury became their greater purpose. To check out their products, please visit eauso.com to check out ESO Vert. For all of our listeners, you can email us at chicanacodeswitchers at gmail.com and send us your POC, business, conference, and event shoutouts and listener letters. You could also record a listener message on Anchor app, and that way we can include your recorded message in our future episodes. Follow us on Instagram at chicanacodeswitchers and on Twitter at xcodeswitchers. If you would like to support this podcast, you can Venmo or cash app us at Chicana Codeswitchers and or become a Patreon contributor. Thank you. And don't forget, switch the code. Don't let the code switch you.